My work here is done. Okay, I haven't got time. I haven't got time to muck around. Let's get to Revelation. I want to talk to you about four things the devil hates. Uh, I'm going to mention the devil, but don't get nervous about that if you're not used to talking about it. I won't talk about him very long. Revelation verse 12, it says this in verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Who knows that God's trying to emphasize something when he's shouting at you? He's shouting at this guy. He says, Now have come salvation, power, and kingdom and authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, that's the devil, he accuses his people who accuses them before our God day and night. Everybody say day and night. That's what the devil does. He's going before God, accusing his saints day and night. That's his job. But he has been hurled down and they, that's us, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much to shrink back from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and who dwell with them. But woe to you on, to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you and is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. I love that. He knows his time is short. He's nervous. He's panicking. He's winning in he's, he's He's having a little hissy fit because he knows his time is short. I love this passage because it says that we have authority, we have power, we have kingdom, all the people, we have all of these things. But the, the Bible says that the devil is real. You've got to understand that the Bible says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but there are powers and principalities at work over your life. And literally, the devil is going before the throne room day and night, accusing, bringing, trying to bring in accusation against his people. But on the other hand, the Bible says that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He's, he, he, he's doing the complete opposite. So he's bragging on his kids, and the devil is accusing the kids. Huh. It says this, that we overcome the powers of darkness by two things. The, the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and that's what he did. When Jesus died on the cross, blood was shed, innocent blood, to take away the sins of the world. He atoned our sins. He, 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 he made a way for us that we can be forgiven. That's why it's called the good news and not the bad news. That we can have salvation in that moment because of what Jesus did. But it doesn't stop. I am surprised that it doesn't stop there because it's, it goes on and it says, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony or the stories of our victories. We overcome the devil's plan in our life over our family, work, life, church, by what Jesus has done, by the blood that was shed, for healing, miracles, salvation, all those things, but also by our testimonies, by the great victories that we have. Now, I want to show you exactly in the Bible where this kind of thing takes place, where you can see a, a glimpse of it. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says here, 
One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. This is in heaven, obviously. And Satan also came with them. Surprise, surprise. Why? Because he's there day and night. That's where he's hanging out. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? As if he didn't know. Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Exactly what it said in Revelation. Then he said to Satan, have you considered your servant Job? There's no one on earth like him, blameless among his people, a man who fears God and shuns evil. This is hilarious. I mean, you can picture this. You've got all the angels. This, is, this happened. All the angels are gathered. They're nervous. Gabriel's a little bit nervous. They're worried about their feathers. Uh, their halo's a bit off. I'm not sure what's happening. But they're presenting themselves before the Lord. And for whatever reason, Satan is in the queue. Day and night, he's in the queue, presenting himself before the Lord. And before he could bring an accusation, because that was his job. That's his job every day. Bring another accusation. But what I love about God is God doesn't even let him bring the accusation. He stops him before he could even do it. And what does God do? He starts to brag on one of his kids. He starts to say, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What's he doing? He's telling him his testimonies. He's telling him his victories. He's telling him, you see, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the stories of our victories. They're our testimonies. They're the things that the devil can't take because we've taken ground. We've taken victories over their life. And I want to talk to you so fast, as fast as I possibly can, on four, four testimonies the devil hates. And the first one is the testimony of salvation. You see, if the devil could remove any one thing, I believe he would take away that testimony of salvation. The Bible describes when you get saved, when you make a decision for Christ and pray for asking Jesus to come into your life, it makes a, it makes a funny reference that says that you are have, or have been born again. And somebody said in the Bible, when there was described to him, he said, is it like I need to come back into my mother's womb? And he said, no. He said, he said, you are a new creation. The old goes and the new comes. I said this morning when we adopted our two children, Samuel and Jonathan, it was a great moment for us. But even a, a more amazing moment was once the New Zealand government do, does all their paperwork and um, you actually get all these certificates. One of them is a birth certificate. And when I read it, I was completely shocked because on the birth certificate, it said that Janine was the mum and I was the dad, like, like she gave birth to it, him, them. And, and she didn't because she just didn't. Like she, she, I, I know because I, I was kind of around. And uh, so the New Zealand government's lying. But the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you're adopted into God's family. When you give your life to Christ, you become a part of God's family. And I, 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 I got it. When I saw that, I, I got that. I thought, man, that's amazing. Because it's like when you become a Christian, it's like you always have been in God's family. 
like there's no, nothing else. It's like it's a brand new day for you. And when you become a Christian, the Bible says that he gets out his pen and writes you in another book, the book of life. When you become a Christian, your name is scribed into a book of salvation. And that's what the devil hates. The devil hates losing ground. He hates that your name is written in the book of salvation forever and ever and ever, which is actually a really long time. The devil hates that. The second thing the devil hates is a testimony of a transformed life. He hates that thought when, when, when your life has been transformed. You know, when I made a decision for Christ when I was 15 years old, I was in a pretty amazing place, you know. Uh, I had just been in, uh, had leukemia, been in, in remission. Uh, I gave my life to Christ when I was 15 years old, but I was in a bad spot. When I was, gave my life to Christ, I was smoking drugs with two of my school teachers in a Christian school. I was getting drunk most weekends. I was the only kid in my class who had their full license in a car. When, who knows when you're sick, when you're really sick, you can get away with anything. No. Well, it's true. <laughs> and uh, and I, because you can't get kicked out of home. Who's going to kick you out of home? I'm dying. And uh, so I just totally, uh, totally took that to the full, full advantage of it. But I am amazed. Now that I look back, I go, man, you know, there's a few things that changed. You know, I remember God reading the Bible and thinking, you know, I, I probably shouldn't get drunk because the Bible says drunkards don't enter the kingdom of God. I thought, yeah, it's probably not a good thing to do. There's a whole bunch of things happened. Part of my story is that I got healed a few times through, through um, my uh, having leukemia. And I talk about that a lot. But even of recent days, uh, I remember um, uh, just before Presence Conference, uh, I was in the shower. <clears throat> don't go there too much, girls. And, uh, you know, and soaping up and I felt under my arm like some big lumps like big as 50 cent pieces and I was thinking yeah that's probably not a good thing and I went to the doctor and the doctor just went completely white you know like this is not good leukemia you know and you got big lumps under your arms and uh that's not a good thing normally that you know bad and uh and then so the doctor's like doing all these tests and everything and alarm bells and specialists and and uh, I'm going, oh, man, that's great. And we were in New Zealand, actually, and we had booked our flights to come to President's Conference. And, uh, and I love that conference. You know, that feels like my hero. And so I, you know, and so I came home a bit down and I told Janine, and she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you know, I've got to go to Christchurch and go to the specialist and get all these tests done and the panicking and, you know, and she said, well, how about we just go to the house of God instead? I said, brilliant. Let's go to the house of God. Let's go to, let's go to conference. I mean, that's much better than going to the doctors every single time. And uh, so I went. I went to the doctor. I uh, went to the conference. And I think I was on the second night. Phil's there. Pastor Phil. And he goes, yeah, hey, hey uh, Andy Cavallis here. How you doing? <laughs> They're a great guy. One of the greatest evangelists on the planet today. Andy Cavallis. Come up here. I'm going to pray for you, young man. Lift up your hands. And, and then everybody falls over. It's kind of cool. That's, that's, that's kind of how he does it. 
I'm telling you right here. No, no, right. So I'm, on the, I'm having carpet time. I'm kind of like just lying on, lying on the floor and carries on the meeting. After a while, I thought it's time to get up and I walked back into my seat. I just thought, man, that's pretty powerful. And uh, I think it was the very next day. I'm in the shower. Hey, Janine, uh, come over here. I had a towel around, of course. So. <laughs> she was like poking away. And she said, yeah, I can't feel anything. I said, oh, that's amazing. And I said, oh, that's amazing. And you know what God said to me? That night God said to me, because I remember just worshiping God, I said, God, thank you so much. Thanks for healing me and, you know, and, and, and believing in you. And God said to me, he said, Andrew, you'll never die of cancer. And I said, Lord, I said, I remember him just speaking those words over my life. And he said, because as a 15-year-old, I healed you of cancer. And so you've got a testimony of the miraculous. And you can stand on your testimony. You can stand on your testimony. Even the devil will come with all of his tricks. He'll come. He'll come with all of his tricks and, and say, oh, look at that. Look at that lump. Look at that thing. Look at that blood test. But God said to me, you can stand on your testimony of victory. You see, there are people here and you've been set free from alcoholism. You know what? You can stand on your testimony. He'll come with all of his stuff, but you can stand. There's people here and you, you, you had problems in your marriage, but you've come through that. You can stand on that testimony. There's, there's business that you can stand on your testimony. Once your life has been transformed, we overcome him by what Jesus does and, with the, and the testimonies of our victories. When we push through and we can see a victory, we can laugh at the things of God. Laugh at the things of God and say, well, devil, you can come and try your little tricks. But I've got a testimony of victory on healing, salvation, miracles. I'm not going to do drugs again. How silly, how silly would that be, Pastor Andrew? No, because I've got a victory. I don't have to do drugs anymore. What are your victories? What are your testimonies that you can stand on tonight and say, you know what, devil, even though you try and come, you won't win. You won't win. And what are the testimonies that you need to win tonight? What are the things in your life that you're saying, you know what, I actually haven't got the victory of that right now. We can overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we can shift into that place tonight. I honestly believe that we can see miracles happen tonight and people set free. The, uh, the fourth thing, third thing I want to talk to you is the testimony of financial freedom. You know what? The devil would love to bind you up financially. <laughs> he, would, he would love that. You know, the Bible talks so much about money because money is where your heart is. Money, money uh, you know, if, if we even talk about money, people start getting weird. I was brought up in a Catholic church, and uh, I don't thank God for all, all of my upbringing, but all I knew about offerings was the Catholic priest would just talk for a minute, and then this plate would come around, and my father would put a big wad of money in the plate, and I'd go, man, what would I do with that? And I was thinking I could buy a bike, I could get lollies, I, could, I, I, don't, I don't know why we ever gave that. 
And uh, when I was 19 years old, God spoke to me about going to Bible college. I asked my Catholic mum and dad if permission to go, and they said, miracle of miracles, yes. After, you know, the year before that, I had a bone marrow transplant, uh, which is kind of like, so it's new, pretty new, you know, like me going out. And uh, I asked their permission. They said, yes, go. The short story is, uh, what I love about New Zealand is when you are sick, it's so awesome. If you're over 16, you get paid for being sick. It's called the invalid's benefit. And, uh, and you don't really spend a lot of money in hospital, uh, you know, but you, you kind of like save a bit. I was like the richest person in Bible college because like in hospital, like the whole dating thing wasn't really working for me, Dave. And um, like I had no hair, I had no hair. And uh, I was six foot tall and, and, and five stone. Uh, you could see every single rib on my body. My bum was so bony. You let us say bum. But anyway, my, this part uh, was so bony. I used to have two bath towels to sit in the bath because I, I couldn't literally have a shower because the water would knock me over. True story. And uh, all my legs, you could put my, my hand on my legs right around my bone. Like, that's how thin I was. I was thin. So, you know, when you talk about thin, I was thin. And um, I, would make, I would make millions for World Vision. Uh, so, give. <laughs> People like, give millions to that thing. I should have done it. What was I thinking? And uh, I should have just stood on the street and took my shirt off. Give. Give. I've got, I can't feed myself. And uh, so, so the dating thing wasn't really happening. Every time, like my food allowance wasn't really that high because every time I ate, I vomited through the chemo and radiotherapy. So I didn't spend a lot of money on food. My clothing allowance, you know, I didn't really spend a lot of money on clothes. I had three sets of pajamas, one stripes, one blue, and one trains, which is when I got really excited. And um, so I had like, I had like $6,000 in my bank at Bible College. I had my car paid off and all my fees paid off. I was there... T- in the middle of college, you were to go on, on a mission trip somewhere and uh, for 10 weeks, anywhere in the world. It could be New Zealand or somewhere else. And I remember this day, uh, this girl gets up and she said, I'm going to Africa. You need to buy my ticket in two days and I need another $1,000. Uh, and class, I'm all asking you for a miracle. We need to pray. Everything else is paid for, but I need another $1,000 to just pay this final bit of and uh, she's got to work in an AIDS orphanage in Africa on a rubbish dump somewhere. And so all the class started to pray. I was like, you know, everybody was kind of giving her a limp one. And, uh, and you know, like half-hearted prayer because it's not my miracle, so I couldn't care less. Uh, you know, that's kind, of, that's kind of what it's like. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like I was literally like going, yeah, God, you can do it. That's what I was thinking. Send the raven. Send it. Send the angel. Like, oh, do it, yeah. That'd be awesome. Wow. Yeah, I believe. Send the raven. That'd be so nice for her. And then this thought trickled through my head and said, Andrew, you give her the money. I said, how did the devil get into Bible college? How how does he get in there? I thought it would be a covering or, or something like that. True story. We were learning on how to hear the voice of God. We were learning... How to hear the voice of God in college when this was happening? I thought, well, maybe it's maybe it's not God. I hear four voices in my head. I hear God, 
I hear, I hear the devil, I hear myself, and I hear Janine. So I thought, no, 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 no. So, go make the bed, that's the devil. Do, do. Uh, uh, so it's, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, maybe it is God, maybe it is God. Okay. So I was thinking, it's, it's God, it's going to fire out, it's God. He wants me to do it. I went to my room, and I opened my checkbook, and I, I got out my little big pen, and I remember about this I was trying to write, but I was shaking such... I'm a teenager giving $1,000. This is, this is ridiculous. I'm shaking. And, and this voice says to me, Andrew, go to the bank and get a bank check. And I was like, but God, if I did that, then how, how will people know that I'm giving... Yeah, that's kind of... So I went, I went to the bank and, and got a bank check. cost another $5 back then. It's like 20 now. And uh, so now it's 1005 I thought God would be really specific, you know, like, Andrew, I want you to give $1,005. And I'd be like, wow, how is that going to work? And, now, and then, so anyway, so I did it. That night we had the hour of power, which is like the whole college praying for one hour. I had my white envelope with a with with um, check in it, and I was going to give it to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else. It's like when you ask a girl out for the first time, you go, da 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 and then they'd get it, and then she wouldn't know, and everything like that. And anyway... Uh, but she wasn't there. So at the end of the night, I just went to her dorm where she stayed and I slipped the white envelope under her door and I went to bed. The next day, Dan was lecturing and he says, listen, a miracle's happened. A miracle's happened. And he, and he, and he says to this girl, come up and tell the story. And so she gets up, she says, class, a miracle's happened. And, uh, and so and she said, last night I couldn't go to the hour of power. She said, I went to my room and she said, God, how will you do a miracle in Africa if you can't do a miracle at Bible College in New Zealand? God, how will you provide for me in Africa if you can't provide for me now in New Zealand? God, how will I know your provision in Africa and power and the miraculous if I can't see it here? God, you need to do something. Send an angel. Send it now. And when she said that, she said this white thing went under her door she said class she said it was like holy ground she said I had to take off my shoes the, the, the white envelope was like glow like glowing she said a class eventually I opened it up look class look it's a thousand it's a thousand dollars a class began to clap and shout I was standing and clapping and shouting she said an angel an angel brought it to me and when she said that wings grew out of my back and I started flying high in the air. <laughs> well, I just made the last bit up. But for the first time, I heard God's voice. I heard his voice. Without a doubt, I heard his voice that day. And I was free. I was free. Because I believe that God, through that year, God, through that year, asked me six times to give a similar amount away. And six times I gave all my savings away, everything like that. And uh, I was a youth pastor in, in Gore, right at the bottom of New Zealand, near Queenstown. I was in charge of 30 young people, employed half-time by a little Presbyterian church, and the other half-time I drove racehorses for my father. And freezing cold, minus 10 degrees sometimes in the morning up at four o'clock in the morning. 
And this one day, I complained to God. Anybody complain to God? Little winchy smurfs? I was complaining to God, and I said, God, I said, how come I haven't had a raven? And how come I am only working half-time? And I said, God, I said, you said you are no man's debtor. It's good quoting scripture back to him every now and then. Just said, really sock it to him. And uh, it's only happened twice, but a cloud actually came into my office, which is normally a sign that you're either in huge trouble <laughs> or amazing blessings coming. And I was weeping in my, in my little office in this little Presbyterian church where nobody would ever know or see. And God spoke to me sovereignly and he said, son, what would you rather, money or souls? It's like a trick question, isn't it? Like, how much money? I remember saying to God, God, give me souls. And uh, that year, our youth ministry became New Zealand's largest youth ministry in one year. In one year, God blessed our youth ministry to well over 200 young people. And people used to say to me all the time, Andrew, how did you grow the youth group? I was on radio and all these sorts of things. And they said, how did you grow your youth ministry? And I'd say, I don't know. Except the Bible says, if you're faithful in little things, God will give you much. And I really believe if you can be financially free, in other words, if God was to ask of us and say, God, what would you want me to give? And you had the ability and faith to give it, the devil can't put a hold on you any longer. Because the, God knows that if he was to call on me and say, Andrew, I want you to sell up your house, I believe right now I could do it. If God was to say to me sovereignly, Andrew, I want you to go to Africa and work in that orphanage, because you're free. You're free. You understand that you are free. And the last thing that I want to talk to you about is, and I wonder if the keyboardists can come and play some romantic music. That probably will help. Um, is the testimony of the generations being blessed. You see, the devil would hate that it just doesn't stop with me. You know, uh, I, I, I talk about my children a lot. I, I love them dearly. Uh, my, my beautiful little boy, Samuel, he's, he's, he's only heard me speak, I think, maybe once or twice. But it was last year when he was five uh, years old, around this time. Um, we were in New Zealand and the church and for whatever reason, Samuel didn't want to go to junior church that morning. And he said to Janine, would it be all right if, if he came into service? Excuse me. Janine said, that's fine. She's sitting beside him. And I give a, a, a salvation appeal, asking people to lift up their hands if they want to give their life to Christ. Samuel was the first person to put his hand up, beaming, like so excited. Me, me. I said, Samuel, I see your hand. He goes, that's cool. He was like so excited. Janine's completely oblivious. She's like praying and not realizing that her son is about to get saved. And uh, a whole bunch of people lifted their hands. And I said, why don't you come out and stand in the front? I'd like to take time out just to pray with you because this means something. Samuel was the first person who ran onto the stage. Everybody else was down here, but he came onto the stage because when your dad's speaking, you can do anything. He grabbed my hand and he squeezed it as hard as he possibly could just to let me know that he knows that I know that he knows that he's there. 
when we prayed the prayer, he prayed the loudest. He got all the words wrong, but who knows? Enthusiasm counts for everything. <laughs> what was really cool was afterwards somebody gave him a Bible and they wrote the time and date of the decision that he had made. And his name was Peter. And Samuel still prays for Peter today, a year later, every night. It was an amazing moment because uh, uh, my job when I'm at home is to tuck the kids in and say prayers with them. And, and I love that moment. I dress up as Goliath and they throw rocks at me. And, uh, and, and they're pretty good shots, the little guys, and they miss sometimes. So I get, I get a few. Anyways, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an adventure at our house. I said to Sam, I said, come on, man. I said, Dad's going to pray for you tonight. And I'll never forget this. I wish I could have a VCR to show you, you know, the moment. Because he said this. He said, Dad, he said, um, he said, you're not praying for me tonight. I said, why not? Kind of felt a bit redundant. And, uh, and he said, well, he said, because I, I'm going to pray to Jesus tonight. And I was like, okay. And then what really shocked me is when he began to pray, it was so beautiful because Sam said, Jesus, right now, you're my very best friend. And he said, I want to, he said, I'm going to play with you. We're going to hold hands. We're going to talk every single day. And he said, I am going to share my transformers with you. And when he said that, I knew salvation had come to our house. I knew this was a real thing. And uh, for about two or three minutes, who knows when you're crying, you, you're crying, but if you make too much noise, you're going to ruin the moment. You've got to understand this. My, I was undone as I saw my son crying, I was praying. I was crying. I was weeping, weeping, weeping. Tears were streaming down my cheeks. Because for me, it wasn't even this moment as so much. But for me, I was brought back to this moment when I was 15 years old. All of a sudden, somehow, I was catapulted back to this moment. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? More than planning, I fluked it. There are other people in the room who could have given their life to Christ, but they didn't. But for whatever reason, I said, God, if you are real, then God, I am going to give my life to you. And I prayed a 30-second a prayer saying, I want you to come into my life, do something in my life, and God blessed me. He heard my prayer and he said, son, you're now written in this book. The old's gone, the new's come. This is, we're, we're now friends. And then I see my life and I see miracle, 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 miracle as my life has stories of transformation, stories of victories. I see financial freedom come through my life. I see the blessing of God. I see miracles. But then when to see this, if I had known that this was going to happen back then, I would give anything for this. To know my children are blessed because I made a decision for Christ when I was a teenager. I would give anything, anything, anything for that. Anything for that. To, to think that my son is now going to be blessed. He's going to have testimony of testimony of victories. To, to think, I was the first Kabbalah 
in all of New Zealand, as far as I know, to make a decision for Christ. And now the generations are blessed because a 15-year-old put his hand up and said, God, I want you to come do something in my life. I need a miracle. His children are going to be blessed. His children's children are going to be blessed because I did something for that, anything. There are people here and you're saying, well, you know what? I'm a little bit long in the tooth. Maybe it's too late for me that the generations are blessed. It's a lie of the devil. It's a whispering spirit. It's never too late. There can be transformation in your family. There can be restoration. Their lives can be blessed. Things can turn around. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. When you get yourself right with God, miracles can happen all around you. And in just a moment, I want to give people that opportunity to come to Christ. Because I believe there are miracles here in people's lives. People come saying, you know what, I'm desperate. And I want to explain, I want to explain something to you tonight because truly we don't want you to do something you're not ready to do. That's why we're not trying to pressure people into things or manipulate circumstance. But we do want to give people an opportunity to say, you know what, I want to come into relationship with God. Or I've been away from God, but now I'm coming back into that place of intimacy with God. Because I believe you are going to have these testimonies in your life, these stories that the devil hates. And he's real. He'll be even telling you tonight, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But listen to the good guy. Listen to that small voice saying, come on, what have you got to lose? Nothing. Everything to gain. Everything to gain. And and what I'd love you to do is just to close your eyes because when you close your eyes, there's nothing mystical about it except everything else disappears, but your soul and your thoughts are illuminated. And I want you to ask this question to your soul. Am I in relationship with God? I reckon it's the most honest, fierce question you could possibly ask yourself. Am I in relationship with God? And I reckon God will talk to you. Not do you know God or know about God, but are you in relationship with God? Have you surrendered your life to Him? And maybe you're here tonight, you've been brought by a friend or a family member. Maybe you saw the advertisement in the paper and you thought, I'm going to come along tonight, but you're sitting here and you don't know Him. Then friend, I would love and encourage you to, in a moment, just to lift up your hand and say, Andrew, just include me in this closing prayer. I would love to do that. When you lift your hand, I'll see your hand and I'll ask you to put it down. Or maybe you're here and you've been in church world. You've been to youth group or you've been to young adults or you've been to other churches and you've maybe once prayed a prayer, but as you look inside your life today, you know you're away from God. Maybe it is as simple as the busyness of life has robbed you of intimacy or, or, or maybe it is sin, a wrong relationship, an addiction that you haven't been able to get victory of. But you're saying, Andrew, tonight, I want a miracle. I need something. When I was praying today and believing God for this weekend, I really felt like God saying, there are numerous people that are saying, Andrew, I cannot have another year like this year. From this moment and beyond, something has to shift. It has to be a new day for me. Something has to shift. This is the moment that it can happen for your life. Or if maybe there are people here saying, Andrew, you know what? 
If I was to face death like you had to as a teenager, I just don't know where I'd be. Right now, if I was to face God, I don't know if I'd be in heaven or hell. There'd be a fear and uncertainty around that moment. Friend, I would count it an honor to pray with you today so you can have a relationship with God, walk in that relationship and have an assurance of your salvation. Friend, no one's looking around, but you're saying, Andrew, please just pray with me right now where I am. I want you to shoot up your hand right now if you're in one of those three categories. You're saying, Andrew, now pray for me. Thank you, thank you. Who else? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? You're saying, Andrew, that's me tonight. Thank you. Who else? You're saying, Andrew, that's me tonight. That's me. Something has to shift in my life. A miracle has to happen. There, there, there are dads here tonight, and you need to lift your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. There, there are dads here tonight, and you know you're not in relationship with God, and, you, and you're saying, you know what? I, I'm, I can feel the devil talking to you. Say, so I'm not going to lift my hand. That's pride. Pride whispering to you. Don't let the devil win. Don't let him win tonight. Give in to God and say, you know what? I need to come back into that place of relationship. Maybe your wife is sitting right beside you, and she's praying for you. Say, you know what? Get them saved again. Get them back into the kingdom. Because you can hide from God. You can hide from pastor. But I'm telling you right now, sometimes you cannot hide from your wife. She knows if you're the real deal. Friend, who else? You're saying, Andrew, tonight, something has to turn around in my life. Just shoot up your hand. I'm going to see it. I'm going to include you in their closing prayer. Quickly now, who is that? You're saying, Andrew, that's me. I just know this. just a couple more people. And you're saying, Andrew... I want to pray that prayer. Thank you. Who else? You're saying, Andrew, that's me. Thank you. Who else? You're saying, Andrew, that's me tonight. That's me tonight. A miracle has to happen. Every person that lifted your hand, could you give me the honor of just lifting up one more time? Because I don't want to miss any person that I'm praying for tonight. Who else? You're saying, Andrew, that's high enough so I can see it. Please, friend.